It's so great to see you all here. And those of you that are joining us online, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Uh, if you're here in person, if uh, there's a packet there for you. Uh, hopefully you grabbed your packets uh, when you came in, and uh, you'll uh, need those notes there. Uh, if they're not online yet, for those that are online with us, we will get them there uh, very quickly. So I'll be looking for that in the future. We are continuing in our journey of the greatest sermon ever preached. Um, the, of course, this is Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and we made it through chapter 5 before we took our break here. We've gone through the first couple sections of his sermon, and we're getting ready to come right to the middle of it and then hopefully conclude here in the very near future. Um, here, but we are in Matthew chapter six. If you'd like to have your Bibles open there, um, or the uh, if you have the notes, the uh, uh, scriptures are there in the notes. And so, to kind of give us um, to to bring our memories back, since we've been away for a little bit, to get us back into the the teaching that Jesus was teaching there. You remember that he started off this entire message with eight blessings called beatitudes. And uh, in the study of these Beatitudes, we learn that these are attitudes that we are to be. These are not attitudes that we're to learn or that we're to, of course, we'll continue to get better in these attitudes. But as a result of being saved, as a result of having Jesus as our Lord and Savior, these are the attitudes that we are uh, to have. And so these eight Beatitudes compose a complete picture of a true follower of Jesus Christ. Um, and so... These eight attitudes tell us that a genuine follower of Jesus is to be humble, to um, be repentant of sin, to make sure that sin is taken care of in their lives, seeking forgiveness when they sin, to be meek, that's not weakness, that's power under control, to be righteous, um, and that's going to be key to this next area of study that we're going uh, to be looking at, to be merciful, to having a clean heart, to be a peacemaker, to be able to withstand persecution, and to be able to accept that they will, or you will as a follower of Jesus Christ, be reviled for following Jesus. These are the results of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's very interesting how Jesus doesn't hold back on what it really means to be a follower of him like we do in our society. Oh, if you invite Jesus into your life or you get saved, add Jesus to your life, your life is going to be peaches and cream. It's all going to be great. It's all going to be good. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Uh, you add me to your life. You bring me in. You make me Lord of your life. Your life does improve through salvation and walking with him. But there are realities of this life that are difficult and even harder because we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And let me just put this little side note here. This is, this is free, free of charge for you. It's going to continue to get harder and harder to be a Christian as we continually walk in this world. Uh, it's just how it is going to be uh, there. And, the, and, and history has its cycles. So you remember back in the Roman days where Christians were persecuted and killed in the Colosseums and, and stuff like that. And we're on track for uh, things like that to happen in our future. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? Feel good? There you go. So Jesus tells us this is what we are to be. This is who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus moved into setting a foundation and, and the point of the fact that he did not abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. He didn't do away with the law. He came to fulfill uh, the law. And in doing so, in this fulfillment, he dealt with six specific laws. And now, we need to understand and we need to remember that um, 
God gave the law, so the law was perfect. However, the Pharisees made the law a tool of control over the people for which it was not intended to be. So the Pharisees focused so much on the letter of the law, on what the law was and how it was supposed to be performed and how if you performed it perfectly that you were doing uh, good. And Jesus came along and said, no, the law represents more than that. It's not just the letter of the law, it is grace that is a part of it. And we saw all the way through that in chapter number 5 where he said, you have heard it said... But this is what I say it actually means. This is, this is the grace that's a part of it. And we walked through that uh, last time. Now, as we move into chapter number 6, as we move into the middle of this message, Jesus in this section now is contrasting living for God's approval versus man's approval. God's approval versus man's approval. Interestingly, Jesus is not instructing us when we come to these. There's five things in this chapter. We're going to look at the first one tonight. But when we come to these five areas he gives us, he he is not commanding us to do these things. Rather, he takes the stand as he did with the Beatitudes that because you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will automatically do these things. In other words, this is supposed to be a part of your character. This is supposed to be a part of who you are as a follower of Jesus. Did you know, are you sitting down, did you know that as a Christian you are to look a certain way the way that you live your life, the words that you say and the things that you do? Did you know that? Right? And it, it, it is supposed to be different than the world. It doesn't have to be crazy or radical or way out there, but as a result of you living for Christ and Christ uh, coming in and, and uh, taking up residency in, in your heart, the Holy Spirit filling you, you are to look and be different than the world. And that's what Jesus is going to deal with here. So Jesus begins with the idea of giving to the needy. That's where he starts. He talks about giving to the needy. Now, again, I want to stress here that when he talks about giving, that is us giving of our resources to help others. When it comes to the tithe, or when it comes to bringing our tithes and offerings to the church, I emphasize, and this is why I emphasize that, that we are bringing back to God what he has given to us. So our, our giving to the needy does not come out of our bringing of our tithes and offerings. That's above and beyond that. Do you see, do you see the difference there? Okay, um, and so, the, you know, the New Testament doesn't bind us to a 10% uh, as the Old Testament did. And, uh, you know, Paul said, as you purpose in your heart to, to give or to bring back. But, but whatever we determine, we're going to bring back to the Lord in our offerings and our tithes, uh, just using that term because uh, of uh, it being used there. That's what we bring to the church. But when it talks about giving, that is outside of that. Does that make sense there? And so when we give, we give out of our resources to the needy. And, and again, Jesus is uh, focusing here on the fact that as a follower of Jesus, you are going to have compassion for the needy, and you are automatically going to be giving to uh, the needy because we always have needy in, uh, in this world. So Jesus is emphasizing that as a genuine follower of Jesus, it is automatically a part of our new nature to be a giving person and to give to the needs of others. As a matter of fact, what he does in this is he ties this to our righteousness. And that's your first blank there, uh, probably page two, number one, righteousness. 
Remember, we are to be righteous, and righteousness, uh, do what's righteous. He says here in verse number 1 of Matthew chapter 6, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for they will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So he gives a warning here, just starts off. He says, let me warn you about something here. Beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Beware of practicing so other people see what you're doing uh, in order to be seen by them because you will have no reward from your, heaven if you, from, from your Father in heaven if you do that. But what's he talking about when he talks about righteousness? Well, righteousness, the very word means acting in accord with divine moral law. Because we have been saved, because we have been changed, because we have now a new nature, we are to live according to the nature that God has implanted in us through the Holy Spirit. We live by that moral law that God has for us. In other words, what it means is that righteousness is the quality of being or doing right, being right in the eyes of God, doing what's right in the eyes of God, being right in the eyes of God, including our character, which is our nature, who we are, uh, uh, conscience and our attitude. Uh, conduct in our action and command in our words, in the words that we use. So uh, in all of our being, all right, it's the idea that in every area of our lives we surrender to God and we put Him first in our lives and we're going to follow what is right. We're going to obey the Word of God in every area of our life. Uh, in, our, in our character, character is who we are when we're by ourselves, right? Who we are when no one else sees us. In, in our con, uh, conscience, in our, in our attitude, having the right attitude, in our conduct is when we're acting uh, and interacting with others. In our command, in the way that we talk, the way that we speak, how do we act and we react in this world. And so Jesus is telling us plainly that as followers, as believers, we will live righteously. Now isn't that good news for us? I mean, that really is. Because we are saved, and we'll see this in just a moment here, because we are saved, we actually have the ability to live righteously. Do you recognize that before you're saved, you can't do anything that is right in the sight of God because of our sin, because of our sin nature? Uh, we can do good things according to the world's standards. We can do good things according to man's moral standards, but we never do it with the right motivation, uh, because we can't, because we don't have the motivation that God has given to us. So let me unpack that a little bit more uh, for you. Um, so because of the fact that as believers we are righteous, we will choose to live and do right as God would have us. And this is simply a result of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ and salvation. When the person receives salvation, the righteousness of Christ is placed upon us because, guess what? We have no righteousness in and of ourselves, okay? We have no righteousness. We can do nothing righteous in the sight of God. And when we are saved, His righteousness is imputed upon us. Now, that gives us two things. That gives us a right standing before God because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ that washes us and His righteousness imputed upon us. We use this real big church term called justification. Just as if I didn't sin is what it looks like. So legally in the eyes of God, God looks at me because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus as if I've never sinned and now I have access to heaven on legal terms, right? And then the other thing is, is that the second thing is, is that with his righteousness placed upon us, we now have the ability that we never had before to do what God wants us to do in ways that brings glory to God. 
And so that's what he's saying there with our righteous. So being empowered to do what is right does not mean that we will never ever sin again, unfortunately. Wouldn't that be great? I'm all for the no sinning, man. I hate that stuff. Messes me up big time. But I do it too easily, <laughs> right? Uh, I tell you, I, I, I have a bit towards it because of this body of flesh we still live in. And we'll never conquer it on this side of heaven. But I strive and I desire and trust in God and have to rely upon Him to sin less each year than I do the year before. And uh, I try to do the best that I can. So unfortunately, we will not be sinless. But the idea here is that we, even in this sinful state, have the ability to do what is right. But here's where Jesus brings it down to where the rubber meets the road. He says, now you have the ability to do what is right in the sight of God, but you can still mess it up if your motivation is wrong. You can still mess it up if your motivation is wrong. And so that's where Jesus is going with this. Jesus' point is that because you are a child of God, you will live righteously. In other words, you will do righteous acts. You will do things that are good. Not all the time, but you will do things that that are good because you have the Holy Spirit residing inside of you. You uh, have God working through you because you're His genuine child. Now, if, if you say that you're saved and you don't do any righteous works, well, then there's a question of whether or not you're saved or not, right? Uh, but the reality is, is that those who are saved are going to do righteous works. The question now comes, and what Jesus is really getting to here in this lesson, is, is your motivation right for the righteous deeds you do? Jesus is asking a question here in essence and saying this, what is the motive for the righteousness that you do? Is it to... Uh, get the approval of God? Is it because you want to glorify Him and you're doing it because you're moved by Him and, and your love for Him and, and, you, and you want Him to be glorified? Or are you doing it so that man goes, hmm, that person's a really good Christian. Or hmm, that, look at what they're doing. Or, or look how good they are. Or, look at how much money they gave. Or Because we're going to talk about giving here. Look at uh, the works that they do. Wow, they've really got this thing going on. And our immediate reaction is this. Of course we do it for God. I mean, what are you talking about, right? I'm a Christian, of course. But did you know that man looks on the outward appearance and God sees the heart? And the sad thing is, we're as good as lying to ourselves as we are to others, right? We're really good at that, right? And so Jesus actually gives a test is what he's doing here. He gives a test to our true motivation, Let me ask you these questions, see if they resonate with you. Jesus is asking this, are you worried about what others think about you? When you do the righteous acts that you do, are you concerned that others see and know what you're doing? Are you looking for recognition for the good and right things you do, recognition from others? Now, you know what? I had no problem writing those questions. You want to know why? I've done all of that. I'll be the first one to say it. I know you guys are a lot more spiritual than I am, but I have have done all of this. And are you sitting down? I've done all of this as a pastor. Okay. Some of you are like, I'm out of here. I can't believe it. Okay. Now, again, 
We're not going to admit this out loud unless you have to where I'm standing right now. But let me go a little bit finer point on this. Have you ever said to yourself something like this? I really hope they appreciate what I'm doing. Or I did fill in the blank, whatever it is. I did blank and no one thanked me or even acknowledged that I had done it. You ever felt that? Now, we would never say that we've ever felt that around others, but I'm talking about at home by yourself, sitting in your chair at home after, you're like struggling with that. Jesus says that if you have, you have done your righteousness to be seen by others. And you have your reward, which would be their praise. You have their reward. Even if you don't get the praise of the people with that in your heart, worried about whether others have seen you, you have still gotten your reward because they, they should, because basically you're like, they should have. And so, so basically your reward doesn't come from other people. Your reward goes, yay me, right? Okay. They missed out on praising how good I am. That's what happens, right? So they messed up on that. Now, here's something that's really interesting that you guys are going to talk about when you guys get into your uh, groups here. But uh, I want to make a statement here that, that I don't know if you're going to 100% agree with because I want you to think a little bit uh, tonight here. And that is this. It is very interesting to me that Jesus is not necessarily saying that when you do your righteous deeds, because you're still doing righteous deeds, with the motivation for others to see you, he is not necessarily saying that is a sin. Do you see that? Think about it for a minute. He's saying that basically what you're doing is, is you're doing righteous deeds and you're getting a reward that is only part of what you could actually receive. For example, to go, you go run a race and, and when that race is over, instead of getting a gold medal, you get a gold plastic medal, Right? Yeah, it's not the same worth, right, uh, there. And so the person that does their righteousness for God cares nothing about what others know, don't know, or say. They are focused solely on following and obeying God so that God is honored and glorified. But still, it's not necessarily sin in the idea that... that um, you still get a reward. Now listen to me very carefully. It can and does lead into sin, as we're going to even see in what Jesus says here. A person that continually keeps their mindset that way moves into sin because they move into hypocrisy and bitterness and, and stuff like that. But Jesus is saying, hey, this is, all, this is kind of only about rewards. It's almost a, a picture, if you will, of what the judgment seat of Jesus Christ actually will be. When we stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, we will gain or lose rewards. We will get either wood, hay, and stubble, the, the, the metaphor says, or we'll get gold, precious stones, precious uh, jewels. We'll still be rewarded something even if the work is, is not good or even if we would classify it even as sin. But, but your sins are taken care of. This is just getting a reward and it's not as good and one perishes and the other doesn't. So I don't know if you see the parallel there. Um, but Jesus is not, again, Jesus is not necessarily talking about sin here. However, a heart that does only good for accolades of man can quickly turn into the sin of pride, and we need to understand that. And so we'll see that as we go forward here a little bit more. 
So if you do good for man to see, then their praise is your reward. If you do good to honor God, then His praise is your reward. It's God's reward versus man's reward. You choose how you want to do this. And this is the foundational teaching of what Jesus is laying out for every one of these areas we're going to go into. So Jesus says that as a, as a true believer, you will do righteous acts. And in this case and in, in other cases, are you going to do these righteous ask, acts as a way of uh, honoring and, and glorifying God and getting praise from God, or are you going to do these righteous acts so that other people see you and you get their praise. So let's go into the illustration that Jesus gives here, one that we're uh, somewhat familiar of in the idea of giving to others. Uh, And so number two in your notes, your blank there is giving wrong. So we're going to talk about giving, and we're going to look at giving wrong. How do we do it wrong? That's what Jesus begins with here in verse number two. So he says, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So you see exactly what we're laying out here. They did this so everybody can see them, and they they have their reward. So when you give, and again, Jesus is saying you will give. All right, do you see that? So let me, let me put it this way, if, if you struggle with having a compassionate heart and giving to others that genuinely need help, and I'm talking about genuine situations here, where God actually moves you, because this is the idea of us listening to God, listening to Him move us, and when He says to us, give to this here, okay, He's not, he's not listen, I got to pause here, because giving can get really, really uh, messed up here. It's not that we're so generous that we're giving to every single cause that's out there. It's that we're praying and we're earnestly seeking God and we have this burden on our heart to give to a need, to a needy person, to help someone out. And God, you have spoken to me and I've prayed about this and you have moved me to do this. God says, I will be moving in you as a believer to give to the needy. And when I move in you and you obey to do that, when you obey me, when you give, make sure you do it so that you're not getting the praise of others, but that you're getting the praise of me. Does that make sense on how I explain that there? Okay. So when you do, he says, don't do it this way. And here's a real good, good uh, thing for you to write down and to make sure you, you don't do. Don't blow a trumpet. Right? All right. So I don't know if you have a trumpet, but don't blow it before uh, there. Don't Do not get everyone's attention so they know what you're doing. Do not make a spectacle of yourself so that that everyone knows uh, and can praise you for how much you give. Now, let's, let's pause here for a second because what Jesus is actually saying here is not a hypothetical situation for Jesus. This was a literal way that people gave in his day. For us, we're a little more reserved right? We're not going to blow a trumpet. We're not going to make all this woo-hoo and stuff like that, but we may drop some hints. <laughs> we, may, we may speak some names or something. We, we might do something a little bit different than that, but the outcome is still the same. So why do I say this is not hypothetical, but this was kind of common uh, in their day? In Mark chapter 12, you remember the story. We looked at it in Luke Jesus was in the last week of his life, and he was at the temple. And remember, he 
was, he was right outside the, the treasury. And it says here, and he sat down opposite the treasury. Remember, the treasury was a room as part of the temple where there were boxes on the walls that were there. People, when they gave, they would give according to those boxes were designated for different things. And, and they would give their tithes and their monies based upon those different boxes. And one was give to the needing. And Jesus is sitting there and he's watching people put money into the offering boxes. And it says many rich people put in large sums. Here's the question. How in the world did Jesus know that they were rich? Because they let everybody know they were rich. I mean, not only was it their clothing, not only was it, but, uh, but the idea was, if you remember, we, 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 I don't know if you remember this one, we looked at it at Luke or whatever, the idea of blowing a trumpet was common when they gave. They did. They, they had a horn or some sort or whatever. They would, they would blow you know, all this kind of stuff, and they would draw these people around, and nine times out of ten, it was the Pharisees. It was the Pharisees. Look at how spiritual I am. Look at how good I am. They would have a, maybe a bag of coins or whatever, and they would take the coins, and they would just drop it in, plunk, one at a time, plunk. Look what I'm doing. Look how much I'm giving. Look at how good this is. And everybody's like, woo. And you remember the story that the, the little widow with only the two mites comes, and Jesus says she gave more than any one of these people because they gave out of their surplus, and she gave out of her want. Uh, and we know that, that story there. But the idea here is that G, what Jesus is giving a picture to, everyone that was sitting there listening, and Jesus goes, oh yeah, all those Pharisees are just annoying, I tell you. I mean, just so full of it. And you see all that because not everybody could. Right? And he says, don't, don't act that way. Don't act that way when you, when you give. Don't draw all that attention to them. I guess the only thing that I could think of that, that would be equivalent to this, uh, instead of giving an offering, think of a telethon, Right? Remember telethons? Uh, you know, you give money, and what, and what do they do when you give money? Oh, we got another $100 pledge from so-and-so who lives in, you know, Montello, right? You see your name, they give you all the accolades of the fact that you gave or whatever. Oh, this is a real big gift of $1,000, and they would say your name and, and stuff like that. And, and that's what they were doing, and they're giving to the needy. And, and it would also get into the idea of, I mean, I got help needy overall, but you gave that much. Oh, I'm going to give more. I'm going to. They wanted their own reward, and Jesus says that they received their own reward. Now, Jesus uses the word hypocrite in here, and again, as I as I said to you, this isn't necessarily talking about uh, sinning or basically uh, being judged. We don't know of any judgment that came upon them because they gave this. But the hypocrite idea was that they were hypocrites in every aspect of their life, not just in their giving. So that, that's why he uses that term. However, however, obviously we know that at the, at the length that they did, it was, it was sinful because they were taking their eyes off of God. So, so I'm not saying there's not a fine line here. I'm just wanting you to see here that if you give to the needy or give for whatever reason, and you get praise from people because you seek that praise, not because they just find out or something, or, you understand? Because you seek that praise, then you've received your reward. You're not going to get any blessing from God because of it. You're not going to get anything else. And so you may not necessarily be punished unless you look at the punishment as the fact that you don't receive any reward from God. Does that make sense? Okay. So, uh, so God is basically saying, well, okay, if you want to give that way, and you want everybody to see it, and you want their praises, then that's all you get. 
You just get their praises. You get, you get no blessing from me. You get no, uh, you know, anything from me or, or any praise or I'm not, you know. In other words, it's like, yeah, thank you for giving to the needy. I'm glad you did your righteous works, but I'm not happy about it, you see, right? Uh, it's like the idea of the child taking the trash out and stomping out the house to do it. They got the job done, but the parent's not happy on how they, how they did it, Right? And the fact that they're not in trouble because they got the trash out, but they're still the parents still not uh, pleased that they, they did it with the wrong attitude. Does that make sense, you see? Okay. So then Jesus says, how do we give right? Number three in your notes. And so obviously the contrast of this is, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So obviously the, the, the opposite is what God wants from us. As, as um, flamboyant and loud as they were to get the praise of man to do this, it is equally in secret or quiet that God wants us to do this. In other words, this is a decision to give based upon what God is moving in your life to do. This is a decision made between you and God. Do you understand that? The idea here, the picture here is that you and God have been working towards this idea of giving to this, that he has laid on your heart and you're going to do this. And the only one that matters that knows that you actually did it is God because you're obeying what he has commanded you to do. Does that make sense? Right? He's the only one that needs to know. Uh, in this. And so in, this, in the same way, he's saying that when you do this, when you give, all right, when, when you give in this manner, then you are glorified, you are lifted up. I will exalt you, God says. I will lift you up. I will praise you. I will bless you because you have done this in secret. You're not doing it for your own reward. You genuinely have been moved and you genuinely have given because I have prompted your heart to do so and you did it in obedience to me. Do you see the difference? there okay and so the idea here is that we are in constant communication with God we are in constant communication with him when things come up in our lives that that we are prompted to or feel uh, drawn to in giving and helping uh, the needy and then we're, we're then we go to God and go God I have this this desire in my heart and I want to make sure that you have implanted that desire in my heart because emotions and feelings can really get you messed up right I want to make sure, God, you have implanted that in my, in my heart. And then, God, what do you want me to give and what do you want me to do in this? Um, and so the idea, the, the hyperbole of the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing, I mean, it's impossible for you to have something in your right hand and not know. But the idea here is, is, the, is the fact of you're not going to be telling people, you're not going to be boasting about it, you're, you're just going to do what God has called you to do. Now, I think one of the things that one other thing that goes along maybe with this idea, a second interpretation, if you will, that I kind of thought about was this. Uh, if God moves you and you're married, you're married, if God moves you as one, one spouse to give uh, to a needy uh, need or whatever it is, you need to confer with God and your spouse before you give to that. Uh, God is not going to move one spouse without moving the other 
spouse. And if one spouse says, I want to, and the other spouse says no, then you need to hold back and make sure that you're discerning. And you need to make sure that, that both of you are discerning uh, in, in this, right, uh, to, to do this. And I think that honors God and honors the marriage relationship. But the idea here of what God is really nailing down in this is, are you listening to me? Are you trusting me? Are you allowing me? Is your relationship with me right so that I can prompt and prick your heart to the areas of need that, that you need to give? Because God says, as a, as a genuine child of his, you will be moved to give in these areas. And when you do it, do it only so that God knows. Now, what happens if you do everything with the right heart and word gets out that you, that you did this? That you're like, oh no, I lost my reward because someone found out. No, that's not, that's not at all what it is. But if you genuinely have the right heart, then you'll be humble about that, won't you? Like, oh, I heard you. Yes, but it's only by God's grace that I was able to do that. It was only because God led me to do that, I did that. We, do, we turn around and we give that glory back to God and praise to God. Yes, God has blessed me uh, in order that I can be a blessing to someone else, and he laid it on my heart, and, and so I was obedient to him uh, to, to do this, you know, there. And so that's the idea that God uh, is talking about in this, what Jesus is saying when we give. So the idea here is that when we live in righteousness, our motivation should always be to bring glory to God rather than to receive the accolades of man. And the key to that is, is your heart right with God? Are you walking with Him? Are you praying and listening for His leading and His guidance in this? Because that's what Jesus wants most in our lives. Any questions tonight? Any thoughts on that? Gary? Gary? So the question, the question is, uh, if you give to an organization like a 501c3 and you want to write it off on your taxes for the tax exempt and all of that, and you, get, you need to give them your name on, on who's giving and stuff like that, no, I do not believe that is getting the praise of men. I think that's just administrative stuff that needs to be a part of it. Um, you know, uh, I think your heart motivation is the key to that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how giving to an organization would bring you great praise because you gave to that organization unless there was something unique about it where, you know, I'm giving this specifically to the president of the organization who knows me, who's going to, you know, tell everybody that I did this. You know, it, it's the motivation of your heart. So the general, general giving that we give, especially to entities that are uh, 501c3 or tax exempt, and we have to give our names for that purpose, that's not seeking the praises of men that's following the proper order of what needs to happen so absolutely any other questions great question gary great question awesome 
All right, let's pray and we will break up. Ladies, stay in here. Men, head out to the foyer. Father, thank you so much for your word, your lesson tonight, Lord. Thank you for the truth of it. And Father, I pray that you will bless now our time together, our fellowship. Let it be a great time of just conversing and talking about these things, but also prayer and, and just fellowship, I pray. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you.